0: Episode 21.47 of the Yacht Rock Podcast out of the main. You know what that means. You can count to 47. Uh, yeah, well, it counts for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 21 is obviously the year, 2021. Yep, right. 47 is the episode hey, number. It's hard to believe. I know. It's 47 out of 52, which means we're getting towards the end of the year, end of a season. Mm mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and probably post peak yacht rock season here as we're going through fall getting to winter yeah which brings us to a topic that i've been wanting to address for a while okay and that's off the map all right so we've done episodes on buried treasures from our lightning round we did remember hidden in plain sight and what was the other one yeah, they
1: were, they were artists that you... So the Hidden in Plain Sight was deep cuts from people that you knew and were right there in front of you. These were other more lesser-known artists, whatever we call right. that other one. Right, and they were sort yeah. of
0: one-yacht wonders, I think. Right. I don't know. Anyway, in, we just came off one of two tournaments where mm-hmm. we were, in essence, picking which of two songs floated our boat more than the other. Right. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to do the third part of the triumvirate of our um, lightning round, and that's Off the Map, otherwise known as what, what, you're you're
1: Ooh, what you're missing. So why did I play that song? Yeah, why did you play that song? Well, because I feared that we were going to be drifting too far out of the harbor, and I just wanted to have some little yacht rock connection. That's uh, "What You're Missing" by Chicago. So it was produced by David Foster. Okay. It's not a yachty sounding song, but it does have David Foster written by Jay Gruska and Joe Williams of Toto. So, ah. you know, I did just for
0: keep us loosely tethered to the yacht. Yes. Well, and that's kind of what Off the map's all about. Is right. We're not completely abandoning the uh, seven seas. We're just kind of going into uncharted waters. Ooh. Lots of dings already. So, in other words, Off the Map, I started thinking about when if you stop listening to Yacht Rock and you start to venture into these new uncharted waters, mm-hmm. what do you listen to? And put another way, you know, for the past, I don't know, two years, I've been focusing so much of my listening on yeah. Yacht Rock. Yep. The more we learn about what yacht rock really is, I start cutting away some of the things that aren't truly yacht rock, which Mm -hmm. leads me to like, well, I kind of miss listening to some of that stuff. Yeah. And sometimes you just need to get away from say yacht
1: rock or any genre so that when you come back, it's fresh. So there's a certain staleness that can happen no matter how good the music is to listening to the same genre and subgenre over and over again.
0: So So each of us uh, kind of put some thought to it and said, well, yeah, what is it that we're missing when we're focusing so much on yacht rock or what are the areas that are Mm -hmm. off the map that maybe we'll drift into now that we're uh, kind of out of yacht rock season. Yeah. And I find some of them are uh,
1: almost like weather dependent. There's Hmm. certain music I listen to in the winter and fall Versus what I listen to in spring and summer, just different genres that just don't seem to fit the mood for,
0: you know, like I don't listen to a lot of prog rock in the summer, for example, because it's just, it feels too heavy for the mood. I'll give you one that I never listen to in the summer, but I always listen to this time of year where it's kind of post-fall, but pre-Christmas season or holiday season, the days are shorter so that it gets darker early, but like cool jazz from the 60s. Ooh. It's like, that's perfect. It almost starts to sound like Christmas music. So it's, it's cliche, but that's my Sunday listen.
1: Okay, yeah. <laughs> you know that's a throwback to a long time ago.
0: Well, let's get so specific. You, yeah, you into, start us off. All right. Well, I'll tell you, this is an easy one. So okay. because we've been focusing on the artistry of the time period, right, and mm-hmm. the the commitment to production quality. Um, experimentation of the era, like a lot of people say, that the late seventies, early eighties, is where that all of that sort of peaked. Yes, in confluence with the real band that you know as playing as a unit and off one of an, each one another, that sort of peaked. Yeah. Then after that, things became more digitized. They became more track by track. Mm-hmm. So I look at that late seventies, well, mid seventies to early eighties era as like. The pinnacle of studio recording, genre non specific. I agree with that. And so like yeah. things like even stuff that I don't really love, like I the artistry behind what it took to write and record Stairway to Heaven. Mm-hmm. You never get that nowadays. Yeah. Pink Floyd. Right. But what I specifically mix or miss is two bands in particular. Okay. From the era. And I want to get your take on both of them. One is Journey. Yes. And the other is Boston. Okay, So we'll take them one by one. So journey, funnily enough, I think our very first episode, yeah. uh, I proposed, does it float your boat? Lights.
1: Yes. And I almost coughed up in my mouth a yeah. little bit. And I knew it wasn't yachty. Um, <laughs> you it's made w- the case that, well, it's about a body of water nearby. <laughs> right. <I> look out <laughs> at the bay. Like, oh, geez. Yeah.
0: Yeah. See, that's the Trojan horse. Early. I've seen before you invented the term Trojan yes, horse. Yes, it was. But- Think about this. So we talk about the Yacht Rock era musicians being these unsung heroes, like guitar heroes that don't get their due. And I have one for you, Mm -hmm. Mr. Neil Sean. Absolutely. We were, um, I remember
1: talking about just kind of some odds and ends thing that we were, like you were talking about earlier, to finish out the season, we had a few things that had kind of been pushed to the side that we wanted to eventually cover before the season was out. And I had this somewhat concept of what if, Mm. which we never really Developed, But it was the, the what if the biggest what if I had on there was what if Neil Sean had decided to become a session player as Lukather, for example, as opposed to dedicating himself completely to the one band a I mean, there's, there's no question he's technically good enough. There's oh, no yeah. doubt about that. But, versatile too. Yes, but how would this have changed his sound? How much more versatile would he've become mm. because he probably would have then had to start to incorporate some more of the jazzy and R&B stuff as opposed to the rock and blues stuff that makes up the bulk of what he did. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, what would he sound like doing doing this kind of stuff, doing the you know the palm muting stuff, <laughs> yeah, sounds, you know, I don't know, just could he do the plucky, plucky is there, there's nobody Like Neil Sean that jumps out at me to say he could be everything that uh, Steve Lukather was, but he just chose a different path.
0: Well, and then listen to like early, early uh, journey before they even got um, Steve Perry involved. right? And it was like, let's set up some relatively fine hook just to get to the part where Neil Sean can solo. That's amazing stuff. But real quick, going back to lights. I've told you this off the air and I'm going to say it on the air because I want people to go back and listen to it and you can play it. I submit to you that the guitar solo in Lights is perfect in every way. Hit it.
1: Agreed, agreed. Uh, he has so many that are perfect in every way because they're, they're singable. Yeah. I remember the one time, I've actually seen him three times. So I remember the one time, which was the first time I saw Journey with a big crowd. And it's amazing to be in this crowd of whether it was 20,000 people and the guitar solos come up and everybody is singing the guitar solo, Yeah, you know, and kind of air guitaring along with it. There's never been a show I've been at where people sing along
0: with the guitar solos like that because yeah. they're so iconic. It's got it's got melody, like you said. Yeah. It's got um, it's got a little bit of histrionics where he's up and mm-hmm. down the fretboard. Mm-hmm. He's got some multi-string kind of rock. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's got everything in it. It's never too much. and It's never too little. It's like perfect. Yeah. So that's one. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to take up too much time, but real quick on Boston, like you know the story better than I do. I think you're a bigger Boston fan than I am. But yep. what Tom is it? Schultz, Schultz. Shoals Yeah. Like what he put together was just. Masterful. And then you got Brad Delps on top of that. It just it's so good music. There's no way you could ever force it onto the boat, ever, ever, ever. Even though I tried to with lights, but it's so good. And I miss I'm like, listen to so much yacht rock, I don't hear Boston. Yeah. I mean, just there's something about
1: I mean we, we don't need to go into the whole story of Boston. It's, it's amazing. But again, it goes back to how melodic every part was in mm-hmm. that, not even the guitar solos, but the guitar rhythm parts were not just basic chugging out chords. They were very melodic. The bass lines were very melodic. Um, but there's something about, and I think this is where our listener Kyle comes in. There's something about Rocking out every once in a while—that's mm. that feeds a, a, a hunger or you know scratches an itch that you have. That even though there's some great rocking out guitar solos in yacht rock, even the stuff that sort of quote rocks in yacht rock is not the same as just something big like that. You know, I think of like smoking off that Boston uh. for some when the big huge pipe organ hits in and it's just the sound is so massive. And yes, it's way over the top, but it is so good. You cannot get that charge elsewhere.
0: Right. right. Well, and I, two things, and then we can turn it over to your first okay. submission, but two quick things. I would urge everyone to go watch Rick Beato. What Makes This Song Great, Hitch A Ride. So he did two Bostons. Well, More Than a Feeling is the one that... Introduced me to Rick Beato's yeah, brilliant but I think so the hit to ride one's better. Okay. Uh, um, I'd say go see both then. Yes, go yeah. see both. And then if you're not familiar with the story of how Boston came to be, research that because it's the antithesis of Yacht Rock because they tried to get him to re-record some demos with some session cats. Yeah. And he sneakily he recorded it, but he, never used, he never, those tracks. never used it. It was
1: done in the basement of like his apartment building or something like that. The whole story is on the Boston Band website in great detail. Oh,
0: check that out. Check yep. that
1: out. All right, so that's what I'm missing. What have you been missing? Well, this one, there, there's actually quite a bit here, but uh, the ones that I have, uh, I tie them all back to Yacht Rock in one way. I just did, see, because they're then, the antithesis yes. to his session guys. The the first thing that came to mind, and we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but the New Romantic period mm. that eventually evolved into synth pop and the Sophista pop era, you know, New Romantic was the sort of the early beginning of that movement. It was more of a, um, from what I understand, more of a, um, a fashion movement <laughs> over in Europe, and it was very much a reflex against the punk look, the whole punk kind of thing. And there it, it was this fashion thing that was sort of a blend of very uh, eccentric outfits, a lot of androgynous looks. Mm-hmm. I going to say
0: glam type though. Glam was mm-hmm. also
1: one of them. And then blended in with what they thought that they wore like back in the romantic period. Mm-hmm. You know, so you think like the way Adam Ant dressed early on. Right. Bow Wow Wow is another one. Um, you know, even Bowie was kind of an early taking the glam mm-hmm. and he pushed it into this. Um, obviously, when you think androgyny culture club, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but then, you know, Flock of Seagulls, Visage, people like that, Ultravox. And then that later evolved into what we call the sophista pop and the, uh, the synth pop thing. And so now we're talking more bands that took, the idea of style and elevated it even further to the point where they were going to have you know these matching gold suits, or they were all <laughs> dressed in the nice ties. And you know, mm-hmm. forget the idea of looking outrageous. We want to look like full-on class. Would
0: this have been the era of the skinny leather tie? Probably. <laughs> okay.
1: Good. So I'm talking like Spandau Ballet. They, to me, they're the, the definitive look and sound of what I'm talking about here. ABC is another good one. Mm-hmm. Ultravox. Um, Aha. Tears for Fears to a certain degree. Duran Duran would be mm-hmm. an offshoot of that. Now, speaking of what if, John Taylor. Oh, bass player from Duran Duran. What if? Awesome, you know awesome. He had been a yacht rocker. You know, Talk Talk, Howard Jones, stuff like that. But um, a couple of big names that were the uh, studio forces of the era, you might say. Trevor Horn. Rupert Hine, and then Greg Ladanyi, who has also spent Mm. some time in L.A. working uh, within some of the Yacht Rock stuff. So um, I found uh, we've talked about
0: China crisis before.
1: Oh, yeah. I didn't discover that until I discovered that through Yacht Rock, by the way,
0: through the uh, Walter Walter Becker. Becker. And they were kind
1: of, were sort of known as the European Steely Dan, and they were produced by uh, Walter Becker. And even Robbie Buchanan, Mm -hmm. another Yacht Rock guy, worked on that stuff. Um, Jim Horn. Played with them, oh. Paulina da Costa. So they, they brought some of these L.A. Session play, players play over who? there with China Crisis.
0: Oh, I didn't know all that. As session
1: guys. Oh, cool. Um, another one of our favorites, Aztec Camera. Oh, yeah. Now, here's some personnel on some um, Aztec Camera. The Love album, which is sort of their pinnacle, had Marcus Miller on it. Yep. It had Will Lee on it. It had Steve Gadd on it. It had Steve Jordan on it. I didn't know that. It, it had that. Rob Mouncey on bass and keys. And it also had another keyboard player by the name of a certain Peter Beckett. I've heard of him.
0: <laughs> you, you believe that? Wait, Peter Beckett i what tune Beckett. Do
1: you know? I don't. Offhand, I don't remember now. They, they got like a roadsy tune on yeah. there too. I wonder if that was what it was. And then uh, a couple more I'll mention from that genre: Scritti Politti. Oh, yeah. Now they were another one. Mm-hmm. So, well, I guess what I'm getting at here is that we had alluded before that maybe this period that I'm talking about was sort of Europe's answer to our West Coast uh, scene with session guys that we now call Yacht Rock. Well, they're doing the same thing. Certain ones are doing very session player heavy work. So, I already mentioned Aztec Cameron, China Crisis. So, Scritty Politi. They did really two albums of their definitive style. Will Lee. Mm-hmm. Marcus Miller, Miles Davis, Whoa. Chris Bode, Robbie Buchanan again, Steve Ferrone, drummer, Paul Jackson Jr., and then, of course, uh, here's a name that I had forgotten about, Fonzie Thornton. You ever heard of Fonzie Thornton?
0: Uh-uh. Is he the guy with the cool and the thumbs up? He's, no. <laughs> He's <laughs>
1: hey. the one that jumped the shark? Yeah. Which is maybe what we're doing in this episode. Right. Um, no, Fonzie Thornton is one of the iconic, um, probably most prolific background singers of all time. Uh, gotcha. Aretha, Chic, Luther, Steely Dan, mm. Michael Jackson, Al Jarreau, all that kind of stuff. But there he is working Super on more Politi Right? Oh my God! Um, and the first one that had come to mind was Brian Ferry when he did a yeah. couple of solo rel, uh, solo records. Um, what was it, Bet Noir and uh, Boys and Girls? Were the mm. names of those two albums that uh, I thought he really took on the the style and the direction of what we know as yacht rock? And he used Marcus Miller, he used David Sanborn, Mark Knopfler. David Gilmore,
0: Nile Rogers, Tony Levin, Omar Hakim. <laughs> I, mean, just- I was going to ask about Nile Rogers cuz you didn't bring him up until then, but he was heavy in that Sophista Pop stuff, wasn't yep. he? Yeah, 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 yeah cuz he also worked with and produced uh, Thompson Twins. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Huh. So that that's a really interesting genre. It, it, to me it has all the level of sophistication it has all of the level of recording quality and the attention to detail it's Clean. just a different sensibility it's a different sound I'm not saying that it is yacht rocky but i'm saying it holds the same sort of standards
0: yes Stan- standards in s- sometimes the elements you're talking about all those bands would feature a sax you know yeah. a lot of times mm-hmm. the complex bass lines maybe not the same style but they were you mentioned just it's funny when
1: you hear Sanborn on that Brian Ferry record the way they have him affected with all these cascading yeah. delays you almost wouldn't know it's him right you know, right. so they're using these same guys, but again, they're taking it into a different place.
0: That's a good one, and then, but it also is, it feels right in the sort of off season to listen. Going back, to you said it's seasonal. Mm-hmm. That's when I, in the, for whatever reason, the fall, I start listening to that stuff again. Exactly. I don't know why. From, same for me. All right. Well, let me go back to my like number two area because this is sort of your wheelhouse. You'll probably right. do most of the talking anyway. I don't know how to put this other than here is what I miss. It's not Yachty, but it's from the same era, going back to people pushing the boundaries of exploring new ways to record incorporating new elements in the case I'm going to talk about orchestration so mm-hmm. I'm talking about like ELO and Jeff Lynn's oh. brilliance Oh, yeah. Totally not Yachty, right? No. Even though from time to time in some of these <laughs> things... Sometimes it shows up in the group <laughs> yeah. and it makes me laugh. But like a, a song that I used to always want to try to sneak onto the boat would... Uh, it's not Yachty at all, but Telephone Line. Yeah. Because I just fell in love with that song. Yeah. And it's one of those, oh, what happened to that song? Like, I want that back into my life. And so, I mean, you were... Correct me if I'm wrong. You were a disciple of Jeff Lynn, and for a while, you were sort of emulating a lot of his production quality. it so, was. So what made him brilliant? Because it wasn't, to me, it's not the clean, pristine recording. It's more no. like a lo-fi sort of approach.
1: It is kind of. Um, Boy, I could, I could go on and on. How do I encapsulize it? Obviously, he took uh, what the Beatles were doing and kind of, I think, imagined what the extension of that would be if yeah, they kept going it. and started using more orchestration and all that stuff um i think that's the sound that he was kind of going after um but what makes it so great it's like there's just there's so many things i, I swear i could still listen to an elo song and hear something i never heard before yeah. it's so rich in layers it's so easy to just listen to the singing and then listen to the strings mm-hmm. because those are the two main features but man there's so much going on. Um, well, and he, just, and he went through so many different
0: eras, too. He did, right? Yeah. Well, I, a couple of things I wanted to bring up is that the way he arranged the harmonies and background vocals was mm-hmm. specifically Jeff Lynne. Like, you could hear it to this day, even when he's producing, like, a traveling Wilburys tune, right. and, and you hear totally different guys singing, and it almost sounds like the synthy sort of, you mean, tell me how he does it, it almost feels like they sort of fade in and then clip at the end, fade in and then clip at the end, and it just almost f- feels synth but it's perfect not nobody else i know is doing that i know he he has a knack for the uh, because even
1: back in the early days i think there were some vocals from some of the other guys very little for the most part he's singing all the parts Mm -hmm. and in some of those early records you can hear that there's like these group unisons but then there's also these big thick harmonies and they are definitely different sounding elements. Mm-hmm. So he's able to be sort of schizophrenic enough with his voice that he can sound like these guys and then sound like these guys. And that the, you, you think you're listening to a call and answer from different sets of people. Mm-hmm. And it's just his ability to to do so many things with his voice. And I think that when he does these other records that he produces for other people, I think he just essentially does all the backups. I think he yeah. just, I think he has a system he knows exactly how to do it. He knows exactly how to weave his voice together. And we talk about some of these bands that have such great blend because the the three or four voices in the band are so diverse. Mm-hmm. And you think of like Sticks or something, right? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Their voices, those three, are so diverse, but they make such a great blend. I think he has the ability to do that by himself because of that sort of vocal schizophrenia. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I remember too, just he was constantly exploring just different ways to do things that. Didn't necessarily have to be more technically advanced, but just artistically different. So when in the 90s, when everyone was tight-miking the kits, right, to mm-hmm. get these big, sharp drum sounds, you were you told me, like, oh, yeah, for this album, all he did is he put a drum set in the room, mm-hmm. he got a single, you know, SM57 mic or something, right. and wrapped the cord around a rafter and just let it, it, it hang, ceiling. and that was the
1: drum mics. Yeah, he moved into, a many years ago, he moved into a house that he fit for um, recording, and he has one you know, room that is where the, all the controls are, but he wired then extensions from that control room to every room in the house and then treated every room differently. Hmm. Some had different, different woods, some were deader than others. And depending on the song that he was working on, he would actually move the drum kit Or he would have drum kits in different rooms to get the different sounds he wanted. But it was really a one mic. And as he said in one of the liner notes, never mic'd anything closer than six feet away. Wow. And that included recording guitar amps and stuff. Everything was about capturing the room sound. And it's funny because I remember reading something Ringo Starr was playing on like three four songs on one of his records and Ringo's like yeah we had to cart because I had one the one kit that I brought that was my kit we <laughs> had to cart it from room to room until we got the sound that, that Jeff wanted so you know, uh, even that, those guys are carting their own crap around oh it, my you
0: god yeah, Ring, a Beatle yeah wow Well, anyways, so Jeff Lynne, just a genius, and absolutely. Again, that whole era was just everyone was just trying something new. It was so cool. And now, what do you turn on the radio now? (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, he was blessed because he came out of the late '60s and into all the way through really the late '80s during his most prolific recording period. So he went through that time, as we talked about with Bill Schnee, where the the recording stuff was growing the the new technologies and the ability to get more tracks more things even recording at a better fidelity was just every year sometimes every six months something new was coming out something new was coming out and jeff being a studio guy who didn't want a tour mm-hmm. he could just spend all this time in the studio exploring the possibilities of what this new echoplex does or what this new reverb yeah. does or you know what do I do now that I have twenty four tracks? Well, you know, now I record a bigger orchestra, <laughs> exactly. or layer two orchestras on top of each other. Oh my god! Yeah. All
0: right. Well, you steer the ship to where you want to All take right. us well, now. Well, my, my next
1: one that, that I go to, one of my favorite go tos, is uh, the Minneapolis sound, mm. and of course, other other related artists. I have stuff that I relate to that, but the Minneapolis sound, obviously, born and out of the mind of Prince. Mm. Um, Prince was the, the definition of that, and everybody that came out of the Minneapolis Sound was either produced or influenced or imitating
0: Prince. Is he on the Mount Rushmore of, of Minnesota?
1: All four so- spots. Yeah,
0: all, all four, four, four spots. Morris they have one? Not really. Okay. I mean, those time records were all Prince. I know.
1: More singing, so. Um, so, yeah, Prince, The Time, Sheila E., you know, we had uh, Vanity Six, Apollonia Six, Jesse Johnson, who split off from The Time, Andre mm-hmm. Simone. Mm-hmm. Um, the imitators that came along the way, you know, like Ready for the World, mm-hmm. like Flint, Michigan. Oh. And then I, I have some of the things that I think are the extended offshoots of that. Bands like Midnight Star, you know, they did, uh, you know, No Parking on the oh, Dance yeah. Floor, Freakazoid, yeah. The Deal, Body Talk was their big hit. Mm-hmm. Even people like. Luther Vandross and Jeffrey Osborne, Cool the Gang, the Reddings. I th- I see them as offshoots. I'm not just saying that they're connected or they're imitators, but for me, in my listening thing, yeah. they fit in there really
0: well. And um, the know, interesting thing, really quick about Prince specifically, yeah. is how he would blend genres. So we always talk about how yacht rock's a little bit R and a little bit of rock, maybe some jazz. Yeah, and Prince was a master at creating crossover between r&b and rock i mean like let's go crazy it's all rock
1: yeah it's just a
0: rocker and then even on that same record you might get a a jazzy tune like computer blue
1: yeah yeah
0: and then whatever darling Nikki
1: is (laughs) i have no idea what to call that and then of course you know really an arena ballad in purple rain yep right
0: and then it's just when doves cry with no bass right skip the bass on this i know he's forgiven but he tried that same trick with sign of the times That's right. (laughs) Keep doing it. Put me out of work. Um, But I do have a a genre that connects
1: to that, and so if that's the Minneapolis thing, and then the the R and B offshoots of that, Mm -hmm. the other one that I go to only under certain situations, though, is the Quiet Storm thing. I just recently made a, a nice Quiet Storm playlist. So, in a lot of ways, that is just the softer side of the minneapolis and the extended thing a lot of the
0: the lower tempo and the love ballads and stuff well explain to people who don't know what quiet storm is or what the genesis was so
1: quiet storm um at least as i learned it from our station in detroit it was the station that played the funk and r&b all day long so you they were playing the earth Wind and fire and the prince and time and all of that stuff and as the night went on later and later gradually, as the sun went down, it would gradually get mellower and mellower and mellower into this, what they called the Quiet Storm format. And the Quiet Storm format consisted mostly of the ballads and the mid-tempo stuff, some of the more jazzy uh, stuff of that. And it was meant for the, you know, the cuddle-up time, the makeout mm, music. A little romance. A little romance, you know. A little, little romance, you know? Um, but there's a lot of crossover there between Quiet Storm and I think some of the stuff that people try to put On the yacht. So, um, like, Luther Vandross, uh, it'd be one of the defining sounds. The Earth, Wind & Fire ballads, and we've seen, you know, like, After the Love is Gone. And um, Commodore's another
0: Mm -hmm.
1: one. Um, Patty Austin and James Ingram would fit in a quiet storm. Shaka Khan's Through the Fire is a quiet storm tune, but Mm -hmm. it's also considered a yacht tune. Um, Dionne Warwick's Deja Vu. Oh, yeah. Grover, just the two of us, Mm -hmm. you know. Diana Ross is missing you. That's you know, a little yachty, but that's that's the kind of stuff. That there is, is a fine quiet line. Storm. There is a fine was line.
0: Was it during the Christmas episode last year that you played? You you had just gotten the new Luther Vandross record, yes. right? And you said yes. it sounded yachty, but it sounded more quiet storm. I think you played a tune. Yeah. And it was like man, right on the border. Yes. Yeah. So it does tie in a roundabout way. It ties back to the yacht. There is some
1: stuff that is on the borderline of the yacht and maybe in the. Maybe in the 40s or the low 50s, like I said, like us through the fire by Shaka Khan mm-hmm. that people generally put in there, but it's absolutely a quiet storm song for me.
0: Yeah. Interesting. All right. You got anything else on that one? M2May Juicy Fruit. <laughs> what? <laughs> juicy Fruit. You juicy. Juicy Fruit. I stumbled into the wrong podcast. Where are we? Yeah. Uh, oh, we're off the map. Yes. Well, I've got one so more. Okay. What do right. you got? I kind of have one more. Okay. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to no, go you No, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Well, I've coined a genre. Oh. <laughs> I've invented. I've discovered. Are you writing a book? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to write a book. <laughs> uh, web series and all. The whole nice. thing. No, I'm no JD. But I stumbled upon this. I think it's a genre. Okay. And I'm like, oh my God. Is there more of this? It turns out there's tons of it. So, stepping back. So we say yacht rock again. It's a blend of rock mm-hmm. elements of jazz, R and B, right? right. Um, and you know how if you go to a Mexican restaurant and basically everything's the same ingredients, but depending on how you mix it together, yeah. you get something different. Yep, yep. So what you if can you never t- go wrong ordering at a Mexican yeah, restaurant exactly. for that it's reason. It all tastes the same. Yeah. <laughs> right? Just do you want, what do you want it wrapped in, and what do you want to throw yeah, on top of? Right. Um, so back in the let me just do a quick little history. Back in the nineties, this popular sort of genre emerge of like funk meets hippie bands or more so jam bands hmm. and on every college campus you would see these bands they'd have like three or five piece horn sections slap and pop bass or bass player and then this really like groovy kind of guitar player and playing these funk rhythms and it was but it was it kind of like was stuck between is it funk Or is it a jam band? Mm -hmm. And so the jam bands are, you know, things like Fish and Widespread Panic and Moe and a lot of that stuff never really appeals to me, Mm -hmm. although on paper it should. Yeah. Um, But it harkens back to the funk of the late 70s, okay? What if you took those and you threw sort of like a jazz structure on top of that, and then you put some more rock into it? And so I discovered this, and I'm like, this exists. Sounds like Jaco Pistorius. He may he may appear in this. Okay. So I don't know what to call it. So I've okay. been calling it funkin' jams because it's it's <laughs> one part funk, it's one part jam band, it's got a ton of jazz and some rock. So okay. I wanna play for you because like, much to my surprise, I made a playlist of the stuff, and then I let Spotify and Pandora discover more of it. I've got, like, 30 hours of the stuff. Ooh. But it's interesting how it ties back. Of course, back. each song is 18 minutes. No, probably, they're right? only about, like, six, usually. Okay. It's All not right. like a jazz thing. So let me play you a couple tunes. All this right. Is, so I'll start with the contemporary artists, and there's tons of them. Lettuce, Galactic, Speedometer, just it goes on and on and on. W- probably my favorite is Lettuce. I've heard of Lettuce, yeah. So let me play you, just roll from the top a tune by Lettuce called Blast Off and set the stage for what this sound is. Okay, so you hear the horns, prominent. Yep, a yacht rock feature. Mm-hmm. It's all real instrumentation, the ones that I'm okay putting into my list. Um, you've got. Usually pretty funky bass. You've got real drums rocking along. It's kind of got a, a, a jazz structure because what you hear at the beginning, they're sort of establishing this theme. And then they'll take various solos off it. They'll come back and hit the theme at the head at the end. Right. So that's, like I said, contemporary artists are playing this, recording this music. I'm, and I'm focusing on just the instrumental stuff. Okay. All right. So now let's go back in time to an artist, artist uh, Maceo Parker. You know Maceo yes, Parker, sir. right? Famously the sax player for James Brown, right? I guess so. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That's the guy. Okay. So um, he's got a solo album in 1991. So now we're going back, Mm. you know, back to the 90s era where I was talking about. Listen to this song called Chicken, and it's the same sort of thing, even though we're talking 20, 30 years apart. And then if you fast forward to the middle You'll get like this They're all taking turns soloing And of course Maceo's hitting the sax solo yeah. Which is like the jazz thing So it's funky, it's jazzy It's... I don't know what it is it's, I think I think I coined it It's funky James
1: Yeah, I think you need to go through Some of the uh, more recent solo records of Marcus Miller
0: Really? So you got live uh, musicians playing stuff? Well, okay, before we go back to present day, let me continue to turn back the clock. Okay. To 1972. Ooh. An artist by the name of Grover Washington. Yes. So, you just mentioned earlier Grover and just... I do. did. So, now we you have a definite tie to Yacht, based on the two tunes I just played, tell me if this doesn't fit right in. This is Inner City Blues from 1972. So whatever the genre is, it has its roots like in the 70s. Definitely. With a definite yacht rocker, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just so good. So if you like, the whole point of this was, if you like the blend of jazz, R&B, rock, and you like yacht jazz, which yacht jazz, I think I discovered this in a yacht jazz playlist, Mm -hmm. this Grover tune, uh, You'll like this stuff So I'm going to link to this playlist It's like I said It's hours and hours long But let me just Before we do And we move on to something else Let me fast forward From 72 to 76 Because now we're in the Yacht Rock era And then tell me This is Do you know this song Or the band The Crusaders? I know I've, I've heard of the Crusaders but here's a tune called Spiral And this is You're going to hear some roads on this So now it's like Tied back to Yacht yes right, so There it is Here we go Anyone has already coined this, or just dis- I don't, yeah, I, or discovered I it. I feel like I need to make a web series, yeah, and do the whole thing. So I'll be gone for a few <laughs> yes. years. By the way, <laughs> no, but well, I you, was you connected back
1: to my last one, which was going to be a, sort of a reset on the yacht jazz, thing, okay, right? which we've already covered in the past. But the yacht jazz thing is to to recap that is the. Stuff like that that is was made during the Yacht Rock era is often being made by the session musicians that were backing up the Yacht Rock artists, such as Larry Carlton or whatever. It's instrumental-based stuff, real band. Um, every instrument gets featured. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, it has a, a good, strong thematic hook to it. It's not just "let's all start wailing solos." It's very much a song structure as opposed to a head with a bunch of solos and a head at the end. Mm-hmm. It's actually verse-chorus kind of stuff. So, thinking of yeah. things like Spyro Gyra oh. is a perfect example, and David Sanborn, and I, you know, I have a, a huge list going. That, and it's different than smooth jazz. It is not like Warren Hill and Candy Dulfer and Najee. It's 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 before that. It's before the drum machines and the sequencers yep. started making up bed tracks like karaoke for sax players. Yeah. You know?
0: Well, what I was was trying to illustrate is I have this, you know, lettuce in, like I said, galactic. If you follow it back, it's like it reaches Yacht Jazz, where I just showed you, and then they branch off. It did. So so, um, it's good stuff.
1: I guess there's always going to be musicians that can play beyond what popular music is going to ask for. Yeah. And so you talk about what's on the radio quote, you know? So where does a musician of the quality of those guys such as the, the more contemporary stuff that you have in there, what are they going to do, you know, on a Katy Perry record or something? They're not going to, right?
0: <laughs> well, also, like, I think of the jazz guys that get really good at their instrument. That's where I thought you were going. Not, not only, work, what are you going to do on a Katy yeah. Perry? or How are you going to make music nowadays? Well, that's what I meant. Right? So if
1: they're not going to be doing Katy Perry, they're going to...
0: And they're not, they can't do jazz because I don't know. But like, that's what this is. Like, this another band I'm thinking of, is Stanton Moore Trio. It's like, it's, you could tell these guys are all accomplished jazz mm-hmm. musicians, but they're trying to make some sort of modern rock
1: yes. sensibility to it. And it's so cool. They're making music that tests their abilities, which yes. is what a lot of jazz and even fusion did. It was more about the musicians testing their
0: abilities than it was for a marketplace. Yes. You know? Yep. Which is what Katy Perry does. Right. Well, Should we wrap it up there and hit the uh, lightning round? Well, we have
1: a little bit of uh, viewer mail that I wanted to um, get to because it ties directly into the Minneapolis Quiet Storm discussion I had, which floats right into the float your boat. So we got this message just today. Okay. As we're recording this, only about a couple hours ago. Our listener, Mark, said that uh, he... um, He had a question that was always plagued him, as he said, is why do so many R&B or late disco artists get a free pass in Yacht Rock? The tempo and vibe is definitely dance-oriented, but are they included in the genre because they are so underrepresented in the overall scope of Yacht Rock? So he's asking the question, do we bring in some of this R&B stuff for... I guess what he's saying, cultural sensitivity reasons, hmm. is the question. Now, I should disclose that he is an African American black man. I don't know which he prefers to be called. So he's asking the question from that perspective: Why is all this R and B stuff included in the rock, or particularly the disco stuff, hmm. when he thinks that it doesn't really fit? Is it just
0: for the sake of representation? Okay, that's an interesting question. It's a I, difficult t- one to answer. I can tell you my gut. I just heard it for the first time, but I think it's because there is legitimate crossover when you look at a David Foster who's working with Earth, Wind & Fire or even a Quincy who's working with artists on both right. sides. And it really feels like Steve Lukather belongs on the Thriller album and belongs on the Bill of Bounty record. So I think there is legit crossover. So um, I've often kind of, – I've never articulated that in my head. I've always yeah. kind of thought like where does a Grover Washington fit in?
1: Yeah, but what you're getting at right there is – so this is a very nuanced conversation so I, I want to be careful what I say. What you're getting at when, with those references, and I think what is essential to how does that work within Yacht Rock, is that Yacht Rock is very multicultural. Yes. Right? So we, we talk about, say, a Bill LaBounty record or Mark Jordan or whatever that might, uh, and Steely Dan for that matter, that's going to have, within their session, guys, you might have Greg Fillingains. You might have Ray Parker Jr. You know, Chuck Rainey. You know, so we're we have... Black musicians that have that culture that they've brought into the mix intentionally. They've brought in the funk or the R&B specifically to blend with the more, you know, New York, uh, whatever we would describe, you know, Walter and Donald to be. What would we describe them to be? (laughs) Yes. But it's that blend to me that makes it. And so then the question is, if it's all like an R&B band. So I have a difficult time always putting Earth, Wind & Fire in Mm -hmm. because of the fact that it's much more of a funk thing to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Who would be another good example? Um, Well, well, that brings me to my Float Your Boat. So the question is... So we
0: don't have the answer necessarily.
1: No, but we we can continue to talk it through because the one that I had even before Greg uh, or Mark sent us this message, I had in Luther Vandross's Never too much. Mm. Now, this scored a 54.75. But um, I guess to me, I, I... Think of Luther as an R&B funk guy. I don't always see the the yacht aspect of it. So, do you have any additional thoughts? See, to me, the the yacht rock magic happens when you blend the multicultures together. So, if you get something yeah. that is, you know, too rock centered, which would, I guess in general be more of the quote white culture,
0: mm-hmm, you right. know,
1: the strum rock stuff and all that stuff. it it doesn't feel Yachty because it doesn't have any of the R&B and jazz elements. But if you go the opposite direction into like Brothers Johnson and Earth, Wind & Fire, to me now you don't have the, you know, you've got, you're missing a sensibility and it's when both come together that it works. It's not
0: for me to be exclusionary. It's just I feel that the blend is where it works. Yes, I agree with that. Now that particular tune does float my boat. Having said that, I feel like it is pushing the boundary of being a quote-unquote too r R&B, but overly R&B to be Yacht. But there's something about I don't know if it's because again, there's no bass notes on two and four, so (laughs) it's Doo yep. um You've got a little bit of plucky guitar in there, so Paul Muni. And it's got a very Minneapolis baseline. It to, does. Yeah, and, and he's popping way, more you know? than I think yep. should be allowed on the boat. But yep. yeah, it floats my boat. It's a good question because, but I think overall your take is accurate that it's the blend and also the danceability question that he asks. Yeah. Like if you're
1: getting into dancing music, I don't think that fits yacht rock either. Mm-hmm. I know that people like to say yacht disco, but I, just by saying that, you're separating that off from. Yacht rock. rock. right, yeah. So hmm. uh, when it becomes danceable, I think you're not in an area where you're really yacht rock anymore. It's not about And that's dancing. danceable
0: in your mind, you think? Yeah. Probably first set, right? Yeah. When you're playing <laughs> the at the end of the night. All right. Well, I'm going way the other way because I'm going back to, since we established this theme is off the map, I'm going to my favorite off the map artist. Well, one of them, but Poco. So I hear this tune, though, and I wonder... Does it have enough to float your boat? It's more going now the other way, where they're more of a rock, even a Mm -hmm. southern rock group. Let's play a little of this and see if this floats your boat. It's called Shoot for the Moon. Shoot for the Moon. So that's just a gorgeous tune, I don't know it, it's if it even flows smooth, to my boat.
1: It's it's nice. I, I really like that song. Really nice sound. Really nice harmonies. But again, I, I think it, it's missing some elements. I think the guys would probably not score that very high. That that feels like it's in the whole Eagles area. Yeah, which is a thing. I right. did. Um, we know. Oh, well, we know. Yeah. So, but yeah. great tune though. Yeah. So that, I mean that that sort of makes the opposite example of exactly yes. what I was talking about. It's the other side of things.
0: Yep. Yep. All right. Well, we are still off the map, though, so that's right. a perfectly acceptable submission yes, in this episode. in this episode. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go back to sort of something that you said, um, in a way. So here's, you know, my vision of Buried Treasures was, and it's evolved, but originally it was like, oh, my God, I forgot about this song. It's like, where has that song been? Here's a song that is not subversive in any way. a huge hit. It features Michael McDonald, Mm. Right. So it sounds like it's Yachty. I don't think it is Yachty though, so it's off the map buried treasure. (laughs) Whatever happened to Patty LaBelle on my own? Yes, I do.
1: Yeah. Like, that's a, that's a
0: tune I forgot about that was a you're not going to hear tune. it in Yacht Rock circles, even though it's got Michael McDonald. Yeah, Patty
1: LaBelle has some Quiet Storm stuff for yep. sure. Well, I'll see, now it comes yep. full circle.
0: But that was a huge hit that, that I was totally big forgot I'd about. forgotten
1: that Michael McDonald was on it. Yeah, I mean, he's doing the call and answer yeah. with her. Yeah. At, during that period where he was seemingly everywhere. Yep. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, my buried treasure is a uh, one of those songs that people forget that they forgot, or whatever the the proper saying <laughs> of that is. And it ties into this because it was uh, produced by Ymir Diodato, who is on my many times on my yacht jazz list, hmm. and it comes out of my sort of extended Minneapolis sound, as I mentioned, cool in the gang. But to me, this is my favorite Cool in the Gang song. It's one of those that is three or four notches below the biggest hits, and people are like, oh, I forgot about that one. And it's called Let's Go Dancing Ooh La La.
0: It's just magical in its infectious nature, and you did forget, didn't you? I totally forgot, and then until I heard reggae dancing, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the tune. That's what I'm
1: talking about, man. man.
0: Good one. All right, well, what do you got to bring us home here on
1: okay, our true off the map? Yep, my true off the map is probably the closest one related to Yacht Rock, ironically, Hmm. but that's the way we're playing today. So this one ties back to my original... um, Uh, What You're Missing, which was the uh, synth-pops, sophista-pop thing. So this would be much more sophista-pop. Remember I talked about Brian Ferry and the uh, personnel that he would have? Oh, yeah. Uh, This song has David Sanborn on it, Um, Andy Newmark on drums. It was mixed by Bob Clear Mountain and mastered by Bob Ludwig, so you know it sounds perfect. Oh, yeah. Brian Ferry, Don't Stop the Dance.
0: So, that's, so David Sanborn's on that, huh?
1: Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it almost doesn't sound like him. It's so
0: affected and different. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Well, that's a tie back to your yacht personnel, though. Right. All right. Well, good one. Very good one. Uh, on the other hand, <laughs> I'm going way off the map to a tune that I've had on my list forever. And on paper, I was like, did, how is this even on here? But do you know the band Blue Merle? No, nope. so they were. Uh, they came out in like the early two thousands. The lead singer sounds like he's trying to copy uh, Coldplay. Uh, the whole band kind of sounds like Coldplay. But there's a tune on their two thousand and four record called "Burning in the Sun," which maybe could be Trojan Horse. You know, if you're suntanning on the deck of the boat. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not why it's in. No. I, there's uh, there's a lot of jazzy guitar work, although, albeit on an acoustic in this tune. Oh, there's some sax lines going on. There's some yachty percussion. There's some good, busy bass work. Um, I don't know how yachty it is, but it's at least close enough to be off the map. There's Blue Merle. Either way it goes. So not exactly what you'd expect to hear on a Yacht Rock podcast, but some no, cool it's got elements going on. of like Coldplay meets Dave Matthews band. Yes, yeah, <laughs> totally. And Dave Matthews band, going back to my original thing, was sort of the like pinnacle of what if we were a um jam band and put some melody to it, could we make it big? And that's what Dave Matthews mm-hmm. wanted to be. Yeah. So try and keep it under five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Try to write a hook if you <laughs> can. Yep. yep. Uh throw some horns, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So there you have it. Right. Off the map. Right. Well, it brings us to the end of another episode. Any famous final scenes or famous final words? Anything? I
1: don't know if they're famous. Mm,
0: they're getting there. People seem to know, you know. Ahoy. Ploy. <laughs>